Okay, I want to, can we put that vision slide up real quick? I just want to remind, it's the first Sunday of the month, I just want to just remind everybody uh, who we are and what we're doing, amen? Because God's got big plans uh, for this area. I believe this Breakthrough Conference is a big piece of God's plan for the Holy Spirit moving in this area. Uh, and I just, I'm so excited what God's doing. I know we're planted here, uh, but I just know that God has got great plans. And so this is kind of our vision slide for the church. Uh, on, your, on, the, on the website and on the pens that you can get in the back, it says we're a family church. And I've, t- I've done messages about what that means and how that operates. But guys, we are a family. We are a church family, and we're in this together, amen? And everyone, everyone has to use their gifts and talents in a family to be able to move the family forward and to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. But we're a family church, and really the church was founded over 30 years ago on a premise of reaching one million souls for Jesus Christ. And when we took over about three years ago, the Lord kind of gave me a picture of northwest Pennsylvania. And you can see there's Route uh, 79 that goes down to Pittsburgh and Route 90 that comes across. And really those intersections of those two major highways right in northwest Pennsylvania make a cross. And every time I look at a map, it, just, it was just like this is where God has called us to reach. And I began to do the calculation of all the counties and the population in all the counties that that cross covers, and believe it or not, it's a million people. Now, plus or minus a little bit, but it's a million people in northwest Pennsylvania. And so how are we going to do all that? Man, I don't even know yet, but I know God wants to reach a million people in northwest Pennsylvania, which basically means all of Erie saved. And so we are just, we are believing in God for all of Erie saved and these conferences and what we do as a church, why, you know, tithes and offerings, what is it all for? It's really to see all of Erie saved. And through that, we want to see the lost saved, lives transformed, the sick healed, and families thriving. That is the core mission of Erie Christian, really all, any New Testament church, really. It's not like unique to us. It's just, those are our words. Uh, But that's what we want to see. That's what we believe a New Testament church is all about. And the only way that happens is through prayer, partnership, and participation. Doesn't happen just with Pastor Liz and I. Doesn't happen in any other way but the church acting as the church family and doing it together. So we're excited about what the Lord's doing. Uh, We just, we're grateful that the Lord has given us uh, this property here, we're believing that it will be paid debt in full in Jesus' name. Uh, and there's our little debt chart over there, and I'm not going to show it today, but we have just a little over a million dollars of debt left here in this property, and we want that paid off in Jesus' name because we know the Lord has many great things to do with those funds as opposed to going to Northwest Bank. God love Northwest Bank. I mean, I, he's a friend of mine. Like, I, there's no problems there. I have no problems with the bank, but. God wants this place paid off because he's got other things in store in Jesus' name. Amen? So 2 Corinthians 9, I just want to read this uh, offering here, this scripture at verse 5. It says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. Amen. So all we're, this, we're about cheerful giving here. This is not about obligation. This is about following what the scriptures say. But even more so than that, it's about God loves a cheerful giver. And we're just looking to do and partner with his work in his kingdom. Amen. So let's pray over the offering and the, and the message. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and faithfulness. Father, we thank you, Lord, for every gift, every giver this morning. 
Father, we pray a blessing over every family. We just ask, Lord, that every bill be paid in Jesus' name. We just command this debt to be paid off in Jesus' name as well. Father, but we thank you most importantly that we will see all of Erie saved. Somehow, some way, Lord, we want to see all of Erie saved. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles to Luke 17. Luke 17. We've been doing a series on offenses. Not offense, like we saw yesterday as Penn State beat Wisconsin. Can I get a shout out for Penn State? Okay, guys, listen. So I know he is a miracle-working God. I know we sang that. And there is no tie to what I'm about to say here. But let me just tell you, it felt a little bit like a miracle yesterday that the Penn State Nittany Lion football team went on the road to Wisconsin and played a top 25 team and actually won. Okay? So I was really happy yesterday. My family was happy. And as my family knows, as Penn State goes, sometimes so goes the dad of the house. But I was in a really good mood because we won yesterday. But I'm sorry. Any of that. Offenses. I'm not talking about football offense. I'm talking about offenses as they come to us and at us at life. And I want to read the scripture we've been, we've been basing uh, the past couple weeks on this, kind of the key scriptures in Luke 17. I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 4. It says this, Then he said to his disciples, this is Jesus talking to the disciples, it's, It is impossible that no offenses should come. It's impossible no offenses should come. You are living, how many of you are living and breathing this morning? Mm -hmm. You don't have to even show your hands. I just can, because you are here, you are living and breathing, which means offenses will come your way. They absolutely will come your way. You don't have it, you can't avoid them. You're like, "Mm, I'm just going to hold on up. I'm going to not talk to anybody. Guys, not possible. It says it's impossible because offenses will come. Then it says, woe to him whom they do come, through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck that he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And what I've been doing in this series is week one, we broke down offenses. What is it? What does it look like? And we defined it by the Greek word scandalon. Everyone's like, they thought I was, had a spelling mistake going on up on the, on the screen. But scandalon, scandalon is this. It's the Greek word used for offenses right there. So it's impossible that these scandalons, that they're, they're going to come. You have to realize that. Here's what it is, the definition. It's the part or the trigger of a hunter's trap that holds the bait. When we take the bait of offense, we trigger the enemy's trap and knowingly or unknowingly become captive to his will, the enemy's will. Yikes. So this is serious, serious stuff. And when we talked about why it's so important that we recognize when offenses come and be able to learn how to deal with them is because offenses, this was in Matthew 24, I'm not going to turn there today, but offenses lead to betrayal, betrayal lead to hate, hate lead to deception, deception to lawlessness, and to a love that grows cold. Oh, 
Does that not sound like the enemy's plan or what? And so we know that the enemy uses these bait, this bait of Satan, as John Bevere called it, uh, which is a great book. I encourage you to go read that. But it's this, this bait that he wants us to be offended so it can lead all the way down this path to a love that grows cold. And last week, we, we really went through the next part of that scripture says that it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around next because it's like woe to him who they come. And last week, we talked about how to not be offensive, basically. How to not be offensive. What is that? Do I have to change who I am? Do I have to change my personality? Do I have to like not be? No, 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 no. And we walked through that. If you're interested in hearing that, you can go on the, on the website or listen to our podcast from last week. But we talked about how to live our lives not being an offense to others. And it basically was walking and living and speaking the truth in love. And we have to walk in the truth, not in the speculated truth. Not in the truth that Fox News or CNN wants to make you believe, but the truth of the Word of God. When we walk in the truth of the Word of God and we speak in love, meaning with a loving heart or a loving intention, with a loving delivery. How many of you know you can say something with a loving heart but not come with a loving delivery? Mm-hmm, right? We've all, experienced, we've all done it <laughs> and experienced it. I'm not talking personalities here. You, people, you know when there's an unloving delivery that's coming. And then through the lens of love, and as Jesus walked, we should walk too. So that was kind of what we talked about last week. But what I want to talk about this week is how to not take the bait. Offenses are going to come. We talked about last week how not to give them. But this week I want to focus on how not to receive them. How not to get ourselves walking in that trap. So Because sometimes they look so good, don't they? You know, you text somebody, mm, and they don't text back. You're like, what's... It says they read it. They have the read receipt on it. It says it was delivered. It said that they read that text. Why have they not responded? Did they not like the words that I said? Did I say, did I do something? When was the last time I texted? Right? Like, it's always, we're right there ready to just grab onto that offense. For all we know, the person forgot their phone and left it home, right? But we're right away going, starting to think about this. We're just, because we're just ready. That's human nature. So we have to learn as a church and as a people, how do we not take the bait? How do we not take offense? Look, this is hard. How many of you know this is hard? And next week, if you want to come back, I'm going to talk about what to do once you did take it already, right? Because some of you are just like, well, I've already taken the bait. Okay, come next week, we'll talk about what to do if you've already taken it. But today is we're working on how not to take them, right? Because we want to put a stop to receiving these, the bait that is coming at us. It says this, says, all of us will experience mistreatment in this life. When it happens, we've got two options. Give in to the temptation to blame others, to complain to God, or to let go of the offense and leave it in God's hands. If we choose to trust him and not be offended, we will come out better, not bitter. Better, <laughs> not bitter. I love the English language when there's like this one, right, this one letter difference in two words like good or God. There's so much difference between good and God. There's a huge difference between bitter and better. 
And we know that bitterness leads to all kinds of things, physical problems, right? Scientific studies talk about the physical problems. And what I just read, if we hold on to that bait, it, if the betrayal leads to hate, deception, lawlessness, a love growing cold, all of these terrible things. So you don't have to turn there, but I want to talk about the life of Joseph just for a minute. How many know the story of Joseph, heard the story of Joseph? Right, so he was uh, one of uh, Jacob's children, and there was 12 brothers. He was the 11th brother. We got a big family. This was a big family. He had 11 brothers, and he had brothers from different mothers. I didn't mean to say it, but that's actually true. He, so he had some brothers from different mothers, but he and, I believe, Benjamin were the last two, born of Rebecca, maybe? Oof, I should probably know this. Yeah, can I get an amen? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, but he was the, all we need to know, he's the 11th brother, he's got older brothers. And how many of you know that sometimes offenses come from older siblings? Oh, yeah, okay. Now, I'm an oldest, I'm the oldest sibling, so I'm just, I was baiting you there. See, I almost got you, right? I was baiting. So he was the 11th brother, and he had a bunch of older brothers, and Joseph had dreams. He had dreams in which his older brothers were bowing down to him. Now, he didn't listen to the last part of the message last week when it says how not to bring offense. So he was just like excited, like let me tell you guys about the dream that I just had where the, all of you are bowing down to me. And his brothers were like, mm-hmm, we're going to see how this plays out all right. Right, and so then his father sent him out to go check on the older brothers. And basically, the long story short, they wanted to kill him. They took the offense. They were upset. They wanted to take his life, but they also were greedy for a little bit of cash. So instead of taking him out, they threw him in a pit and sold him. They sold him to Potiphar's, or some, uh, some people were going to Potiphar's house. And Joseph ended up going to Potter's, Potiphar's house, and he had favor there. The Bible says he was there for about 10 years until Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. So he's like, what's going on here? Right, I have this dream. I share it. I get thrown into a pit. I get sold into slavery. And now I'm having favor. Things are going well. I'm moving up in the ranks. I'm second in charge in Potiphar's house. Everything's going well. And then Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Tears off his clothes, he runs out, there's this big issue. He gets tossed into jail. And it seems as though in Joseph's life, the more he obeys God, his situation seems to get worse. So another test comes. He's in jail. In come the, the cupbearer and the baker. And they have some dreams, and Joseph correctly interprets those dreams. The baker ends up losing his life. The cupbearer goes up and says, yeah, you know, he forgets about Joseph. He goes to the, to, to the Pharaoh and says, hey, you know what? He doesn't say, hey, guess what? There's this guy in jail. He correctly interpreted all these dreams. He totally doesn't say a word. Joseph's got to be like, what on earth is going on in here? So Pharaoh has some dreams. The cupbearer remembers and no one can interpret these dreams. Finally, he remembers and he asks Joseph to interpret these dreams. Joseph does. It's regarding the famine that was coming. Pharaoh sees the, what Joseph and the God in his life. And he becomes second in command of all of Egypt. And here's what it says in Genesis 45. So think about this. All that happened. I gave a really short summary. Not a great one, but it was one. Okay, you can read a children's book. Probably does a lot better job than what I just did. 
Okay, all this stuff happens. You would think that Joseph now is just like, mm, right? Wouldn't you be like that? You would just be like, come on, I can't wait to get back at what happened. And here's what he says in Genesis 45, verse 5. This actually is like astonishing to me. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves. He's talking to his brothers here, guys. Joseph talking to his brothers. Don't be grieved. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me. Uh Uh-oh. God sent me before you to preserve life. Whoa. Joseph's perception said not, you guys sold me. He said, no, God had a plan for my life. I am part of a bigger plan that God has to really to save Israel. He had a bigger plan in place. And if Joseph could have taken offense, he could have wiped out all of Israel right there. Because as we know, Jacob's name turns into Israel. Twelve tribes of Israel are the twelve brothers we're talking about right here. Could have wiped everything out. He had the power to do so. He says, don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Verse 6, for these two years the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth. And to save your lives by a great deliverance. Wow. And now it was not you who sent me here, but God. He keeps going on. like Because you can imagine the conversation he's having. The brothers are just like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do it. Thank you for saving. Right? You would think that. And he has to repeat himself. He's like, no, listen to me. It was not you who sent me, but God. You say, well, does God have bad plans for our life? No. God's will is always to have a good plan for our life, but sometimes we walk through things due to what other people do or due to the enemy that we don't understand and we don't get, and we want to take on that offense and say, oh, come on, why did this happen to me? And we have to say, no, I'm going to trust God in this situation. I need to trust God in this situation. He says, but God... And he has made me the father to Pharaoh and the lord of this house and the ruler throughout the land of Egypt. In Psalm 105, 16, it it references again, moreover, he called for a famine in the land, capital H. He, capital H, God called for the famine in the land. He destroyed all the provision of bread. And he, verse 17, he, God, sent a man before them, Joseph. God had a plan. So what can we learn from this story? There's five things that we can do in our lives. And each one of them is a choice. Every one of them, they're not up here, so you have to take notes or have a really good memory or go back and listen later. But they all start with choose. We have to choose. We are not forced. God does not force us to not take offense. We have to actually make a choice here. And as we know, and as Pastor Alyssa, we are at a time and a place where we have to choose not to be offended. Because there's stuff going on, whether it be masking or vaccines or global issues or Afghanistan or social media or this or that, the list could go on and on. And every single day, as the word says, we have an opportunity to be offended. We have to choose not to be. So the first thing we have to go do 
is choose to trust God. Point one, we have to choose to trust God. It says here, Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, right? (laughs) Like sometimes, you know, some of us, you know, have these great intellectual brains, not me, but people have these great, and they rely on their logic and reason alone to be able to say this is what's going on. But no, it says lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he is the one who directs our paths. All of your ways acknowledge him. What does that mean? Because he's got a plan. He knows best. I don't know best. Verse 7 says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil, and it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Which means if you choose to trust God, you can actually walk in health and in wholeness. No matter the situation. No matter what's, what's happening. Look, we've had example after example that I won't share with you as leading a church. To take offense. Shocking. No, it's not shocking. It says it's impossible that offenses will come. And I'm not going to give examples, but we have to choose to trust God. We have to choose that God put us in this position. No matter what somebody might say or somebody might do or how somebody feels about this or that or whatever, we have to choose to trust God that we're in this position. Let me tell you something, a shocker. People will let you down. Andy told me last week, don't be surprised if sinners sin. We're all sinners, okay? So let's not be shocked when it happens. Like, oh, I can't believe that person said that to me. Guys, don't, we have to change our expectation. Know that they're coming. We have to choose to trust God and not expect that something is not, that people are going to be people. They're going to let you down. We have to change that expectation. The other thing we have to know in order to choose to trust God is to know our identity. Know your identity in Christ. Know what the word of God says about you. Not what somebody else says about you. Because many a times they may or may not be speaking what God is speaking over you. So anything that's spoken over you, you better take it to the word of God. And when we trust God in his word, and we are the mirror of his word, and when we look in these scriptures and we see God and who he is and our identity through the word of God, when something comes that is contrary to that, boop, like water off a duck's back. Is that a saying? It feels like it's a saying, yeah? Like water off the, like, uh uh-uh. It just comes right off. We have to be rooted in trusting God and knowing what the word of God says about us. We have to know our identity. We have to understand and say every single day, if God is for me, who can be against me? How do we choose to trust God? Remember, if God is for me, who can be against me? The second thing we need to do is we need to choose to stay the course. Mm-hmm. Many of us want to just jump ship right? Things get tough, things get hard. We want to, it is hard to choose to stay the course. There's a storm brewing. I'm just going to turn right around, (laughs) right? No, God has you on a course, on a destiny, on a plan for your life. Choosing to trust him means you are choosing to stay the course. 
Psalm 119.33 says this, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it to the end. Keeping it to the end. Staying the course. Our lives are held securely in his hands. Listen to this. No one is able to snatch us away from him. Come on, church. No one is able to snatch you away from him. No government, no religion, no workplace, no school, nada, nothing, zip, zero, zilch, zero, nothing, nothing. The only one who can take you out of God's will is you. Oh, man, yeah. The only one that can take you out of God, it may seem like someone's trying to take you out of God's will, but the only one that can take you out of God's will is you. One of the major ways that happens is by when we take and we hold on to an offense. The longer we choose not to forgive, the more resentful and bitter we become. Instead of getting better, we become bitter. The more bitter we are, the more vulnerable we are to become to the temptation to get even. And we know that the Bible says, says revenge is in his hands, amen, not ours. Some practical tips here as we're choosing to stay the course. Keep moving forward, obeying his commands. Hold on to God's word and his promises. These things do not change. Something else you can work on is assume you don't know the whole story. This is a good practical lesson of life. Assume that when something happens, you may not know the whole story as to why it's happening. I, I should have got that promotion. I was next in line. That should have been mine. Assume you don't know the whole situation and the whole scenario of why that decision was made. The second thing you could do is assume the best of the person even if it's someone who sometimes, as they say, pushes your buttons. No, you're allowing them to push your buttons, right? Can we assume the best of the person? Assume that their heart, they may not have said it the right way, they may not have seemed like it, they had the right intention, but could we assume for a minute that maybe they did have the right intention? Can we assume the best of people in their hearts? Because many times you don't know, unless they're a family member or something, you don't know their upbringing. You don't know the challenges that they're going through. You don't know the situation that happened to them. You don't know that they just got a phone call and found out their mom has cancer. You don't know that their son or daughter just got into a car accident. You have no idea, but all you see is what is happening to you. But if we can assume the best of the person, assume we don't know everything that's happening in the situation, it allows us to give ourselves some breathing room from the trap that's just sitting right there, yeah? It's almost like you take a step back a little bit. And if you're unsure what's going on, it's highly suggested, we'll talk about this in the reconciliation in a few weeks, but go to the person before responding in any way, shape, or form. Seek to get clarification first. Seek to get clarity before getting revenge, because revenge is not up to you. Romans 12, 17 says this, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. This is just what we're talking about. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably 
with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. God's got this. You don't have to defend yourself all of the time. Now, granted, there are some times where you've got to defend yourself. I'm not, this is not a blanket statement. But it says, vengeance is mine. It says, I will repay, says the Lord. If God is for us, who can be against us? The next thing, we have to choose to believe God is present. You have to choose, not just trusting him. A lot of times we say we trust him. But we have to choose to believe that God is present in every single situation in our lives. Every situation that happens, we have to choose to believe God is present. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The Bible says that he promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. Nothing in our lives comes as a surprise to him. So we have to ask ourselves some questions. And I'm going to ask them to you this morning. Are you choosing? Are you living a life that chooses to believe God is present? Here's how you can know. You can ask yourself some questions. Question one, is God involved in my life? So I'm not sure, Pastor Jason, if God is involved. Well, the scripture says in Proverbs 37, verse 23, it says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. God is involved. Scripture after scripture, God is involved in your life. You say, but I'm not sure that he really cares about me. Okay. Let's look what the Bible says. Is God aware and does he care about what concerns me? Yes. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he cares for you. We have to choose to believe God is present. He is involved in our life. He is aware of your situation. He's concerned about you. You say, well, I'm not sure if God loves me or if he has a good plan for my life. Well, he does. The answer is yes. It says over and over in the Bible. Here's one, 1 John 3. It says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, a Father's love on us. That means he loves us. That means he cares for us. He sent his only begotten son to die for our sins. He loves us. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, he loves us. And that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. If God is for us, who can be against us? Next thing we have to choose to do is to cooperate with God's refinement. Uh oh. Yeah. We have to choose to cooperate with God's refinement. Hebrews 12 says this For they indeed, for a few days, chastened us as seemed best to them, but He, for our profit, that we may be partakers of His holiness. Do we know it says, the Bible says that God, whom God loves, He chastens, He disciplines. And there are tests that come into our life. The Bible clearly says that temptations are from the enemy. But there are tests in our life that come that give us an idea of where we stand. How many know what a test is for? A test is for something that gives you a grade. And the grade is just so you can see how much of this information you know. And when offenses come, 
It's basically a test that comes. No matter how it comes, it's coming as a test. And we get a grade every time it happens, whether or not we receive that offense. And so we have to choose to cooperate with God's refinement. Like every good dad, he brings correction to us when we need it. In Scripture, correction is sometimes described as troubles, trials, tribulations, hardships, discipline, all these things. But regardless of the name, God's primary goal for us is wholeness. We've said this before, the goal is whole. The goal is wholeness. And in order to get to wholeness, there are things that need to be shaped, molded, broken, repaired, fixed in our life. God never leaves you in that one place and says, ah, They've made it. Never. Not until we get to heaven. Not until or until he returns. Right? It doesn't work. I mean, his goal for us is wholeness. So if we know that, and we know offenses will come, we have to choose to cooperate with the refinement. We have to say, okay, here's another chance for me. Here's another chance for me. What if we looked at the offense that came at us as another chance to see just how we're doing? Many of us don't even pause for a moment, right? Me included, like, like we jump into that trap, into that bait. Again, we will get either better or bitter. James 1, verse 2 says this, My brethren, count it all joy. Count it. Another thing to choose, we're counting something. It all joy when we fall into various trials. Offenses can be one of those things. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing. You see the progression there? First the trial. (laughs) First the trial comes. And we have to know that it's a test of our faith that produces all these other things. It's a refining process. And how many know during the refining process the impurities rise up to the top? And so when offense comes, it's an opportunity for a refining process to happen in our life. And the last one here, okay, if God is for us, who can be against us? The last one is to choose to hold tightly to your dream. Come on, church. Choose to hold tightly to your dream. Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Joseph had a dream. We started with Joseph, did we not? He had a dream. He held tightly onto that dream. And he had no idea what would happen. But he knew that he had a dream. He knew that the Lord spoke to him. Whether it be through scriptures or something the Lord spoken to your heart. Many of us have a dream. Have something in the future that God has spoken to us. And we have to choose to hold tightly onto that dream. There was a doctor many years ago that told this woman right here that she was going to have trouble having babies. But she had a dream of a large family. And she held tightly onto that dream. She could have been offended at that doctor. She could have taken that and received that word over her like that was some kind of truth. But what she did instead is she held on to the dream that God put in her heart. And one of our daughters who's not here this morning, she has a dream in her heart to become a professional ballet dancer. And she is making decisions now 
that she has to choose to trust God and hold tightly on to that dream because she's choosing to trust in God's plan and purpose for her life. Not what some ballet theater says about her life or not what some artistic director decides to say about her life. But she's going to hold tightly onto her dream. And each of us have to hold tightly, no matter the age that we are, to hold tightly onto the dream. We have to trust God with our promotions. Amen? He's our promoter, not our boss. He is our promoter. You may have got passed over for a promotion. This actually happened to us in my career at GE when I worked at GE. I got passed over for a promotion. Oh, man, was I upset. I, I can't believe it. Don't they know what I've done? Don't they know the time and effort that I put in? I'm in there at 5 a.m. I leave at 5 p.m. That's 12 hours a day. They ought to do the math on how many hours I'm there. And what they're paying me, if I did the math per hour for the number of hours that I pay, I'd be getting minimum wage. I don't know what the heck's wrong with that place. How, right? And you begin to see all these things, and God was just like, I have something better for you. Relax. And man, I, was, I, just wanted, ooh, I just wanted to take hold of that. And I had to take a step back. And the Lord had a different promotion for me. And a better one that fit with our family. In fact, I ended up going to a building at GE that normally worked seven days a week, 24 hours a day, all through Christmas, all through holidays. And you know what ended up happening? We had a shutdown over Christmas. Because there wasn't enough work to keep everybody busy at the time. So, not, and one of my daughters was being born at the exact same time. So what I thought was what I wanted this, the Lord said, no, this is what I have for you. And it ended up being something so much better. You see that? Hold tightly on to your dream. Trust God with our marriages. Trust God with our children. Trust God with our siblings, with our bosses, in, these, in all of these relationships. And the other last tip I'll give you on this one is to hold tightly onto your dream is to remove entitlement from your thinking. Come on, guys. We all battle with entitlement, yeah? You heard it in my voice right there. We feel entitled to this or that or a position or a promotion or a raise. Or even come to church, we feel entitled. Well, I tithe here, so I expect, you know, the pastor to call me once a week. I mean, I don't know what it is that you struggle with. <clears throat> How many of you know I don't call all of you every week? Y'all yeah, know that because I don't, right? But if you have this bad sense of entitlement, this bad expectation, and you expect things will be easy, you expect everything is just going to work out perfectly for you, you have a really bad entitlement mentality. You have to break that in our lives. We have to ask ourselves, you know, why are we doing certain things and who are we looking for recognition from? And there's so many chances that we can be offended in so many different ways. But if we could walk through life believing that God is for us, so who can be against us? And that we're not entitled, although it may seem like we are, we're not entitled to anything in this life. And if we could begin to act and think that way, we'll be able to put up that and say, you know what, I see that offense. I'm not taking it. I'm not jumping into the bait. Michael, if you want to come back up. We're going to close with this. I don't normally like make you guys repeat after me, but can we just repeat this? Just say, if God is for me, who can be against me? 
That's right. If God is for you, nobody, truly no. It may feel like they are, but God's got you in his hands. It says in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together. All those things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He will make a way forward. And it's not finished until he says it's finished. It's not finished until he says it's finished. So bow your heads this morning. Close your eyes. I just want to say a prayer over each and every one of you. That God would strengthen us to walk a life that not just doesn't give offenses, but doesn't take them. Lord, you know that we live in a world and in a time because your word says it's impossible for offenses not to come. But we know with you all things are possible. So based on that, it is possible that we don't have to take offenses. And so, Father, I just pray for each person here who's watching online, listening to this later, Father, you would give us the strength to choose to trust you, to choose to stay the course, to choose to believe that you are present, to choose to cooperate with your refinement, and to choose to hold tightly to our dreams. Father, we're not asking for hands. We don't, you know what people are going through. So, Father, I just ask now that you would minister to each person here. Help them to see the bait before they get anywhere near that trap. Lord, make it obvious in their life that they'll remember that the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness. The true battle is not against each other, but against our enemy. So, Father, I just thank you, Lord, that you're working with us. You see right where we are, for this is a journey. Lord, to meet us as you promised to do. Each one of us in the step and the journey that we're on. We thank you for it. Everyone's eyes still closed and heads bowed. If you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus We sang a lot about Jesus. We talked a lot about Jesus, our Lord, our Savior. The man who came from heaven, lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for our sins, who paid the ultimate price, who then rose from the grave, is seated at the right hand of the Father, says, I need. If you're here this morning, you say, I need a relationship with Jesus. That'd be a true statement. (laughs) Because each of us need it. But if this morning you're choosing it, you say, Pastor Jason, I'm choosing a relationship with Jesus this morning. Just slip your hand up today. That's you anywhere in this auditorium. Say, I've never made Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're watching online. I can't see your hand, obviously. 
but I just want to say a prayer for you this morning. Just keep your heads bowed, and you don't have to repeat after me if you're here. But the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God demonstrated his own love towards us while we were still sinners, and he died for us. And the Bible says that we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. With the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that I need your forgiveness. I believe you died in my place for my sins and rose from the grave to make me new, to prepare me to live in your presence forever. Jesus, come into my life. Take control of my life. Forgive my sins and save me. I choose this morning to put my trust in you alone for my salvation. And I accept your free gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen means so be it. So be it. I've got some prayer teams that are going to come up here. If you need prayer for anything at all, maybe it's a relationship, maybe there's uh, healing that you need in your life. We had a miraculous healing last week in the church congregation. There was a young man sitting back there. We felt like the Lord say, necks, backs, and noses, like a nasal congestion. There was a man sitting back there who said, as soon as we prayed, he was healed. So if you need a healing in your life, I just suggest come up here. There will be people up here to pray for you. God is a miracle-working God. Did we not sing that today? He is a miracle-working God. He loves you. He cares for you. So come on up and get prayer, and let me read this benediction over you. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. Have a wonderful week. Enjoy Labor Day holiday tomorrow.